the world in union. I don't even know how to. Whatever. Um, that was that was perfect. Exactly. We're gonna get sued, Aaron. God damn it. Well, yeah. Copyright violation right there. Uh, how's everyone? How's everyone's weekend going? I went to the Patriots today. That was good. Got to see a good old fashioned beat down of our our uh, divisional rivals. The I Jets. heard if you're a degenerate like me, I mean, I'm not. Uh, you, it's illegal to uh, it's illegal to gamble in this state. So I only wish I could gamble. Um, granted, I'm also the with thread Fox. was ruined. Like, dude, it was like <laughs> it was like New England minus twenty two and a half or something like that, and. Of uh, like the our return man fumbled a like muffed a punt gave up a touchdown and then uh, our backup quarterback for some reason came in like or like early in the fourth quarter and that really pissed off Brady and he threw a pick six yeah so fourteen score points scored uh, by by the Jets ruined the spread for so many people there's a lot of sad people across this country right now. Well, both my teams suck, so it, I mean that ain't a new good. story. So so this is hilarious. So the. So Kyler Murray and Kyle Allen were at the freaking were on Texas the same Texas A and M team played. They're both like freshmen in the same year, I think, and they both were like one of the five quarterbacks that played that year. Uh, Kyle Allen ended up going to Houston, and guess what? Versus former Aggie versus former Aggie, uh, the the uh, the number one overall pick lost. Um, so that is the life of a Cardinals fan. Yeah, well, the number six overall pick, I think he was, or five, Daniel Jones, season in New York, began today. Uh, fourth quarter comeback, ran in the winning touchdown, um, thanks to a missed kick uh, by the uh, by the Buccaneers there at the end. But uh, it's good times in New York, not to mention the World Cup has started. So uh, pretty great weekend over here. So, 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 for hey guys, all, all this football talk, I'm just saying there is a podcast that you're very much welcome well, to uh, make a guest appearance we'll, on we'll in the we'll evening we'll family. We'll move on to that. But <laughs> this does have to, I'm going to mention something that does have to do with rugby and the New England kid. Um, so is, is Tom Brady more embarrassed for not like plugging the Eagles first or for being a million percent behind Antonio Brown? dude uh it's hard to even comment on the um the lord and savior of new england mr goat tom brady however um from what i understand um i saw something on twitter about the uh the michigan football team having worked with the spring box while he was in college no no no, not while he was in college so he is a michigan alum uh jim harbaugh took michigan this last their last spring break for their like knowledge gathering, they do these like field trips and they decided to go to South Africa and learn to play rugby with the Springboks. Great trip. Yeah, it, it was a world rugby. It's on Michigan's like Michigan football's uh, like YouTube channel and world rugby did like a 10 minute doc on world rugby films. Like it was cool. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure um, Nate Abner sent him a direct message very quickly. To, to clear everything up. I don't, I don't think Tom Brady is anti-Eagle whatsoever. I think he's very pro America. You know, after all, he is a patriot. But uh, yeah, no, it, I, I, I can't defend the gaff on this one from from uh, Tom Terrific there. Yeah, and in case you didn't see what we're talking about here, uh, before the opening kickoff of the World Cup, Tom Brady on Instagram put out a video uh, saying "Go Bach" to the uh, Springboks, 
uh, and you know nothing about Team USA. So that, that's that's the incident we're describing here. I just I, I was dying to know. I guess that's the connection is Michigan. What the what the connection to the Springboks and Tom Brady was. I was hoping it was a case of Matt Damon, Springbok, Invictus confusion, but uh, I guess not. That uh, would have made it a lot funnier if like if Matt Damon had made an appearance in the video, like in character. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so so to all like because i'm like the sports law specialist here uh so not not to do with rugby i think i need to change these because there's like glare um, give me a minute but uh there we go for those listening to the audio version of the podcast aaron just had to awkwardly go close the shades <laughs> in the apartment yeah, uh, so sports law. So, so this this whole like antonio brown thing is crazy, right? And I, I so I didn't get I didn't do a long tweet thread about this, um, but I did do like a two tweet thing. So the NFLPA is required to defend him in a grievance because of the bylaws in the Constitution of the NFL Players Association. He is currently a member of the NFLPA. I think you are a member of the NFLPA as long as you pay your dues until two or three years after you're no longer playing. So. Unlike now, now, since it's been three seasons, Kaepernick is no longer eligible to be a member of the NFLPA for all those that want to know. Um, but Antonio, so the, so I doubt DeMora Smith wants to, uh, wants to actually associate himself as the executive director of the NFLPA with Antonio right now, because the reason why he was cut, this gets nuts. Um, so, the text messages, baby. Uh, the first, so the first thing that comes out is uh, this lawsuit. Um, I think the, the woman's. I'm sorry about. I'm gonna get this wrong. I think her last name was Taylor. So Miss Taylor. Uh, you know, she files her lawsuit in Florida, and we end up finding out later on this week that they she had been negotiating or her attorneys had been negotiating with his attorneys for a settlement and he just um as you know more popular reports there were other numbers floated two million dollars so not a lot of money um for him because he's made he's made a lot of money and had a 50 million dollar contract with the raiders and all that stuff um so that's not the big thing he saw very little of that money with the Raiders, though. Yeah. Let, 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 let's be clear. Well, I mean, he just it's get it back now. But uh, point here is like the Patriots didn't cut him for that one. So there, there was a report last Sunday from Sports Illustrated. There was a a woman uh, that did some work for him. Um, in his house, uh, he got like so enraptured with this person's artwork. He hired her to do a mural in his house in Pittsburgh. And like, so uh, he ended up paying her for like two days, not paying her for that long and doing some, some crazy stuff. Uh, like Allegedly that. doing some crazy yeah. stuff. I mean, allegedly yeah. doing some crazy stuff. Yeah. And this is where it gets, so she ends up, the NFL security ends up getting a hold of her. Patriots end up getting a hold of her. Like she wanted to remain anonymous. Like she just commented on the story. The reason why she ends up, like participating with the investigation is Antonio Brown for some reason thinks it's okay. For some reason thinks it's okay. And I'm saying this is wrong. And I'm saying if your boy is telling you that you need to threaten someone, 
um, you need to get new friends because this person didn't sue you like the other one, like, like the other per allegate sexual assault um, allegations. Um, she just, you know, someone came forward. So she came forward with her story, remained anonymous. She is now no longer anonymous to the Patriots and no longer anonymous to the NFL because you sent a picture of her child and say, like, basically saying, hey, you better stop. Like, this dude threatened someone. Like, he's, he, he, he's gone Kanye crazy. Like, he, he has some sort of sense of entitlement and, in, like, that he's untouchable. But th it, this isn't the case. He, he's been fed this lie in Pittsburgh for so long that he's, like, this superstar who is, like, you know, to be coddled and to be you know, cushioned around like with like in like every little corner that eventually when he's out in the real world under a coach like John Gruden and under a coach like Bill Belichick, he can't obviously can't handle the pressure because Antonio only cares about Antonio. Yeah. So, so that was, you know, I, I'm just kind of busting Poach's balls because he's a hardcore New England fan, but that's sort of been like the, we cut the dead meat, bro. A microcosm, a microcosm of he's going to the free Jacks next. New England, New England being connected uh, to, uh, to and all sorts of stuff, but yeah, um, yeah, it's a it's a bad look, man. Um, and instead of just going away, uh, he he's wanting to play. And, and there is no collusion. There will be no collusion here with uh, teams not wanting to sign Antonio because he is now damaged goods, and to all. He tweeted today that he's done with the NFL. That's his latest uh, thing. So he's never going back. Owners can do whatever they want. I'm getting my $40 million. I, presumably he means the $30 million Oakland guarantee and the $9 million Patriots yeah, signing bonus. It's not happening. Uh, so, but to just, you know, to close that one up, that's uh, the insane uh, stuff that's going on in the NFL right now. But to all, my, to all my peeps, to all, my, to all of our listeners that are in the MLR that are players, um, don't be Antonio. Don't be Antonio. It's not hard. Most of you are good, good guys. And, uh, oh, actually all of you are good guys. I don't know any of them, any bad ones personally, but, um, so moving on to the rugby, uh, when it comes to MLR, we'll, we'll get to, uh, world cup stuff, uh, sort of at the end. I'm not really at the end. It'll be around like two, a third of the way, but, um, MLR news. Uh, so Austin rebrands as the Austin Hurt to the Austin Herd, and they've changed their colors. Actually, they got rid of the burnt, well, sort of Pantone orange, whatever the heck that was, um, and they've solidified uh, their primary colors as this sort of maybe it's this color, a little lighter, some blue and uh, silver and black, which is supposed to represent all of the colors of the Austin Huns and the Austin Blacks and, you know, be a herd mentality. Be a, be like the family. Yeah, herd. I, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 like, I like they're doing something. Uh, the herd is... It's not... Oh, the herd is not phonetically pleasing. No, it's not, can, it's can we just like, say this? It's not a threatening sounding thing either. Like a, I think of a herd, I think of like a slow moving set of cows. Yeah. I'm not, you know, you're not like terrified. Easy herd. to shoot. I, um, yeah, I especially when you're riding on a horse with a musket. Let's just say that um, it's better than some of the other current MLR names that are out there. Um, yeah, 
I like that they, they're keeping with a no S at the end, though. I'm glad yes. there's a strong memoir tradition of teams that don't end in the traditional S. <laughs> yeah, that, that is very true. Um, it's uh, – I mean, I had some other ideas that kind of worked with Texas and culture and Austin and stuff. Rustlers. Yeah, that, that would work, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, that's what they settled on. Um, honestly – you know, part of this, uh, part of when you come up with brands, yeah, that's uh, the Stampede is one of the ones I really wanted to go with. Um, but when you come up with brands, it's very difficult. Like, it is tough. And th- I think this will work with them. They're, they're really starting to – made some changes off the field, and they're really starting to work with uh, both clubs. We'll see if that uh, – we'll see if the changes uh, – lead to ticket sales though. Um, then, uh, going on to other signings, uh, both with old glory, Andrew Douglas was, uh, their sort of guest coach, I guess is the best way to explain it, uh, for their exhibition season, uh, has been officially appointed head coach of old glory and John Manson. Uh, he's got a sweet resume, uh, coming over from the Glasgow as the operations manager for old glory. They are, Man, off the field, they're getting some sweet pieces added to added to this puzzle. Like, like they, I think, you know, they will be a first class operation uh, off the field. Yeah, I like you know. I guess it's kind of obvious at this point, but I think I know the coach. I think the operations guy too. Two year contracts. Um, you know, so that that means that's putting us into year three and four of MLR. I, I like that these contracts are now not just one year things. Even for a new team, you know, you're seeing a little bit more of a, a belief in the long term. Uh, so I like that. Yeah, and then uh, you know, those are the those are the administrative hires that are really big. I think uh, the only ones when it comes to coaches that are left. Austin has a coach. Just announce it. Just let's let's get it announced so everyone knows. Um, and and then we'll we'll be on the way. Uh, the two big ones. Hey man, that- I I think there's been plenty of precedent right now set in MLR that just because a name about uh, you know a certain coaching hire is floating through the grapevine and seems like a short thing doesn't mean like it's well, obvious. Th- I will say the name. <laughs> I have it. Right? I don't have a name. I just, you know, every time I ask someone over there, which is, this is why I'm kind of annoyed um, is like, we have a coach. This is done. We're good. It's going to be fine. I'm just like, well, I guess I'll stop bitching. Uh, pardon my French there. Ladies and gents is, they are starting to announce signings. French, uh, they, Austin. <laughs> yeah, they uh, they announced three players last week, uh, so that's pretty pretty big, and we'll get into that. Um, starting from the top, when it comes to player transactions, we've got re-signings, uh, two with uh, San Diego this week and one with Seattle. Uh, Savanaka Toto Vosau, uh, the F- young Fijian flyer, uh, on the wing and Jasa Vera Malua uh, at lock and loose forward uh, returning to San Diego and then Matt Turner for Seattle. So what do you guys think about this week's re-signings? You know, well, San Diego's strong. Um, I, you know, I don't think I'm going to mess up his name. Toto Sal is uh, likely to be a starter, but Vermula will probably play, you know, solid addition there. They're just making so many signings that it's hard to, uh, you know, really ring the bell at this point. Uh, I mean, their team is going to be good. So 
add another one to the list. Matt Turner's a stud. Glad to see he's back in Seattle. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to agree with Craig right there, man. It's, it's really good to see Matt Turner back in Seattle. It seems like they're trying to t- keep that championship uh, core, you know, mostly together. Uh, however, that's kind of one thing that dragged the uh, Seattle Seahawks down into the hole was trying to keep that championship core together rather than letting the roster kind of change over organically. So maybe, maybe, maybe this one will be different. Maybe you guys might give up a championship to an East Coast team. <laughs> well, I'm just going to make the token mention of salary cap whenever San Diego signs someone else. So, uh, Yeah, well, I mean, he's like... Salary cap is optional. Savadaka Toto Osau is like 21, so I think he's not going to be too expensive. Uh, Jocelyn Vera Malua, uh, you know, Olympic medalist. But at the end of the day, you know, bringing guys over from Fiji... San Diego stock. You know, just... Uh, I think Matt Turner is, you know, has multiple roles within that organization as well, too. At this point, so, uh, so that, those are your uh, like important to note. To, um, Save was uh, a starter at the beginning of the year, got injured, all, like still very young. Uh, when he started playing off the bench, you saw a lot of growth uh, in the back half of the season. Vera Malou was actually playing wing at the beginning of the year, and then, well, he's actually naturally a lock or loose forward, but because of that sevens experience and he had played a lot of wing, uh, they put him out there and then they had injuries, injuries in the engine room. And then they unleash a monster, uh, putting him up there. So, uh, although they, I think they're going to have the, they're, they're going to have the deepest lock pool. Um, uh, so far, uh, we'll see what the, what other signings look. If someone gets Savetta back, um, they're going to, they're going to, uh, upgrade their lock pool as well. Yeah. Uh, well, we see a trade. San Diego has every good lock. I mean, not every. They're all <laughs> good locks. They have way too many locks, and they could use. This yeah. is year three. I want to see some trade activity. Yeah. So uh, signings, uh, sort of within the league, we've got DTX. He was a draftee. I know we had a question on Facebook, like what all of the drafted players were. I think I, I don't know the the way this is going. I know that DTS was drafted from Glendale. Glendale had a total of four players drafted uh, by expansion teams. So the draft is kind of weird. I, I think I'll get some, some more clarification, but the three uh, expansion teams had a, had the first uh, pick of the litter when it came to, uh, bringing in proven MLR players uh, over to their teams. Uh, and then there was sort of like an associate player matching process that is support- intended to redistribute some players geographically and increase the competitive equity of a team, say like Austin, who finished ON16 undefeated. Um, that was the elite. The Austin Herd or ONO. <laughs> but, uh, you yeah. know who this so, so that was DTS and then Kyle Breitenbach moves um, from Austin moves down to the Sabercats uh, he's a loose forward uh, Austin signs Roland Suniula so he after only a year with Seattle uh, comes back to Austin uh, Wesley White All-American number 8 and legendary South African coach Jake White's son um, and then uh, Frank Hawaii, uh, all black number 1128. So, uh, what do you guys think there? Well, 
I think the Dylan Ducato Simpson uh, signing for Old Glory is definitely uh, the most exciting and probably going to be uh, the most bountiful in terms of returns, like actually seen on field. Uh, Dylan Dylan last season was uh, becoming one of the most dynamic players on the field, and I'm, I believe he's still pretty young. How old is he? Um, I'll tell you. I think he was like 26. I would say 29. I don't know. He's young now. Yeah, no. So, so he's he's well, he's definitely not a young buck who's still developing. He's kind of like that ripe age. You know, there's not there's probably not a ton of tread on his tires, considering that he's been playing American rugby for. Uh, has 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 he has he played overseas at all? Actually, I really should know that. Um, you know, yeah, he's, he's played. He's been around. Uh, he played with Glasgow. He played with uh, CSM Bucharesti. He played Viadana. Um, yeah. So. Not a ton of tread on his tires, but he has the experience. And I think old glory so, DCs, like, you know, in terms of their signings, in terms of what we know about their roster, it so definitely seems saying, to like a, a little bit less firepower than a few of the other expansions uh, squads at this point. So I think, yeah, great dynamic addition on the back end for that defense and their offense as well. So what you're saying, Josh, is that for a forward, he'd be kind of old, but for a back at 30, He's very young. <laughs> well, I was going to say, how how old is – I mean, Suniola played – Andrew Suniola played last year a couple of games. Adam Malif is still playing. He was I mean, yeah. It's so, like uh, he's not the oldest guy. I mean, no. uh, did, uh, Honestly, I feel like I feel like he's just coming into his prime. Huber Biden's is 37 this year. So uh, Who, Who's the lock from Japan that's like close to 38 or something? Uh, is he a lock or is he a lose? No, the the player from Japan was uh, that prop uh, that played with Austin. Yeah, I think he was like thirty nine. He would be the oldest one. <laughs> he was pretty old. Um, and moving forward with those, I, yeah, I, I I think Halai is an interesting one. He's played a lot of European rugby, but uh, you know, anytime you get an All Black, and from what I understand, he's not the only All Black that has been signed. Uh, into this league, uh, there will be some other guys coming in. That's good. Uh, that New York raw people. I mean, I don't know if they're w- exactly what's working with draft wise or rights, but they're making signings, so you know their organizational health seems to be intact. Yeah, I, I think uh, you know now we just if if people are questioning organizational health, now you're wanting to see information out of Utah. They're the only team that really hasn't. Uh, Really hasn't pushed anything out. They did send a an email out to season ticket holders. Uh, this saying, is nothing new, though. Like, like I feel like this is good dating back the last two, like two off seasons that Utah has been, you know, behind the curve in terms of putting out information. Yeah, uh, yeah. they have been really quiet for sure. Uh, the interesting thing was that San Diego completely went against the grain of what they had previously done. The first two years, you just sort of knew that there was a team, and then they announce their entire roster at the same time, sort of how the free Jacks did it this time, except that, you know, the free Jacks did it at the end, like in the middle of August, not in February. Yeah. I mean, it's um, good. That these are the free Jacks also had objectively cooler graphics. One with the horse head. <laughs> I don't think they even had graphics. They just like appeared on Reddit one day. Right. I, it was like, there wasn't even an announcement. It was like the website was updated. You refreshed it. Yeah. There was the lineup. Yeah, um, uh, the, the Free Jacks they posted it on their Facebook page. Uh, there was multiple posts. I mean, San Diego. It, it was on Twitter. No, too. It was San Diego. It just like went up on the 
put up on their website. No announcement, yeah. and whereas this year it's been it's been pretty good. They've they've consistently funneled out information so that I'm not you know beating up um, executives and uh, coaches' phones like I was last year, and to to the chagrin of many, uh, you know. But uh, and then the the last signing uh, this year, and then we'll get into sort of like different transactions so far was New York signing Robbie Urmescu, all American, two-time all American, three-time all rugby East hooker and captain, I believe out of Penn state. Uh, and then sort of in the release, wouldn't say it was hidden, but it said that he, his, him as a signee would compete against the butcher, uh, Dylan Fawcett and Mike Brown. So I guess you could say that yeah. Dylan Fawcett and Mike Brown have both been resigned. <laughs> New York's New York's building around the hooker. Let's just let's put it that well, way. So to be fair, it, Dylan played pretty much every minute last year. Is it really a competition? No. I mean, well, Dylan might go to eight. I mean, that's the other thing is I think Dylan might could use some rest from the front row. It's tough to play eighty minutes in the front row every week. So you need to find a place on the field. When he left the hooker position, yeah, I think there was there were a lot more struggles. So. I mean, I, th- I, I, th- think- I think he didn't play the hooker every minute, but I believe he was on the field every yeah. minute. I mean, yeah, he started at eight. One- there, was, there was a game he didn't play. There was a game he, he got rested. Uh, but it, I don't think it was a game that was very good. For I think Nate, Bra- uh, Nate Brinkley may have actually led that team in minutes by season's end. Yeah, he, he did. He did. And, uh, yeah, they just need another option. I, Mike Brown did play some, but he didn't play a lot. Uh, so it, you know, they, they need an option that can take 20 minutes and you get an all American. I mean, you know, who knows how long Dylan Fossil will stay in USA, you know, MLR or whatever. So anytime you're signing a young all American from the area, I think it's a good pickup. Best part is like, I had a conversation with James English. I was like, you know, who doesn't need to play fall club rugby if he doesn't make the world cup. Um, cause we were like, he, they were, they were talking about like development plans for different players and who would, who they wanted to play club rugby. And I was like, Dylan should not be playing club rugby. I think they're all playing now is what last time. No, 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 not most. There are, there are more than a few guys that are not all playing. Um, but there are some guys that definitely were told, I, I guess the intent was for them to play. Um, club rugby, and so you've got O'Keefe, you've got Connor Wallace Sims out there, um, and uh, so you've got some guys. I don't know who Nyack has because Nyack club rugby. Hey, Mike Petri, get your social guy to, to to build some social stuff so I know who's on the team um, because they're they're social. Nyack posted a roster on Facebook the other day for their uh, match against Mystic. Hold on. Yeah, it's people. We're, you're just gonna watch us all be quiet. All right, so <laughs> then, uh, I guess we'll we'll look at that. But two sort of retirements. Um, I'm pretty sure one's basically a retirement, unless a team moves into uh, Vancouver. Is Cam Poulsen? He's a lock and loose forward for Seattle. Uh, he base he's also a firefighter. I don't think we talked about him last week, but if we did. You know, I, I'm repeating it, but Aladdin Shermer also announced this week that he would not be returning uh, to the Seattle Seabulls. He was playing; he is playing with. Um, all right, so all right, so now I have the the Nyack D1 roster versus okay. Mystic. Right. Who is on the who who? So who? 
So all right, so players that are on that thing. So uh, at loose, uh, M- Murphy, Hooker, Brown, uh, Tight, Hamilton, Locke, Williamson, Locke, McConey, Flanker, Win, Flanker, Murray, Eight Man, uh, Ir- Meshu. Sorry if I'm uh, mispronouncing yeah. that. Yeah, that's uh, the thoughts about yeah. it. Yeah, nine, uh, nine Jimenez, uh, fly half, Matina, uh, center, Ebanks, wing. I'm sorry, this the, the like the graphic is hard to read read because they have like a white background with white, with white. Uh, M- McCarthy, Dalton, Smurden are the last. <laughs> so not not a whole lot of names jumping out. Um, in terms of. MLR recognition uh, on that game uh, on that roster, but considering the final score against Mystic, uh, obviously a pretty talented team. Um, uh, we do have a question from James Sadler uh, asking where um, Aladdin Shermer is going. Uh, he he does you know work for Kibble and Prentice in uh, Seattle, so it's likely that uh, unless something nice happens, he's probably just, you know, hanging him up because, you know, currently uh, right now um, guys have to do the cost benefit analysis of, you know, playing hardcore club rugby. And he was at a point where he was, you know, going into the Eagles. And if he thinks that um, his chances of earning further caps are, uh, are, are limited based on our other loose forward talent and, you know, his own, how his own body feels. And maybe he just wants to, uh, you know, play for the Saracens and uh, uh, continue to do other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He's young, but there are many guys that make this decision. Um, the, even the, if you look at the all Americans, if you go back to when before MLR started, even go without pro take pro so back to 2014 if you go from the all-americans going from 2010 to 2014 how many of those guys like continue playing club rugby it's actually it's not very many um and the the guys that continue playing club rugby were you know continuously trying to make the eagles uh so yeah he was former all-american captain um, he's a career still promising when he got on the pitch, he was the difference maker, but, um, you know, it's, uh, those of us that work in rugby know that we're not getting paid a lot. Um, and that goes from staff to players. Yep. And, and, and honestly, it, it takes, it still, it takes a really big commitment to, you know, stay in this industry. And especially when you're a player and the physical toll is just as much as the mental, you know, it, it, it's hard to quantify that from an outside perspective. You kind of have to be in the person's shoes to truly understand it. Then, So the next one is really cool. Uh, the Saracens did not announce this, but I did confirm it uh, with San Diego. Capelli Piffoletti has been signed to uh, Saracens FC. Um, is not RC, but Saracens Football Club, uh, which is the, the London Saracens greats. The double champions last year, Premiership and Champions Cup winners. Uh, so I guess he's going to be pushing Jamie George uh, when Jamie George returns from the World Cup. Uh, I was, was going to uh, say, is it just World Cup cover or is it for the no, whole No, it is. He is signed for the season. So uh, as many people know, he was the England U18 captain when he was in age grade. Uh, 
Uh, he was a Saracens Academy kid. So was his brother, Faka Osi, uh, who has been re-signed by uh, San Diego. So good for him, man. Like you're going to have two capped Eagles in the front row in at Saracens this season. Like how good is that? I mean, after the World Cup, guys are going to need some time off, but supposedly the ARC has moved. And we won't be playing the AARC until after the June, the July test window next year. So we're going really, we're really aligned with a Southern hemisphere schedule. And it's really, we sort of always have been because the way the calendar works, that was agreed to a couple of years ago, I think it was agreed to in 2015 um, European teams tour North America and the Southern hemisphere in the summer. So everyone, everyone, so North America and the Southern Hemisphere tours Europe in uh, in the November window. And then you have uh, both a, I guess you would call it an autumn and a winter international window that is separate. Um, previously, you would call it just the rugby championship window. Uh, for uh, everyone that's in the Southern Hemisphere, and then the the, no, the window that we had been playing in uh, for the ARC was also the same as the Six Nations and uh, the Wreck. So, but yeah, wouldn't it be great for a couple of games to have TD Lamositelli and Capelli Piffoletti starting for the Saracens? Mm. The young front row depth for Team USA is something I'm looking forward to. Uh... Enjoying over the next eight years. I mean, we have some young hosses in the front row that, you know, like people in different positions. We just talked about age for DTS, but um, I feel like a prop especially needs some seasoning. You know, you're not reaching your prop peak till you're like 32, 33. We got a lot of years out of these guys left. So they're going to be, they're good now. They're going to be monsters by then. Let me ask you this. So it's actually been a, I asked this question um, a few months ago during the uh, during our last season, but Craig, you weren't a part of the show then. How long until it? How long until the Eagles can legitimately uh, compete for a World Cup? Oh God, compete for a World Cup! Um, I say that by years. next World Cup, we should be competing for a quarterfinal spot. Yeah. yeah I, I no. Well. Uh, <laughs> Stranger things have happened, but if we somehow take third in our pool this time, uh, I think by next World Cup we auto we we're gonna auto qualify, as long as you know MLR is still here, and uh, those of us that are working in rugby still have a league to cover and work for, uh, you know. Um, I mean, so when it, when it comes to you know placing possibly third out of uh, you know out of four in our total pool. Tonga is obviously third out of five. Tonga, I feel like, is the team that you have to kind of target uh, to beat maybe Argentina. Uh, but after that game versus England, how are you guys actually feeling about the possibility of uh, of, be- of beating Tonga? Because at the same time, they, they hung in there with England. Like like the 35-3 to final score, I feel like didn't actually tell the whole story because I feel like between, you know, like the first whistle and the final whistle, Tonga really gave them hell on defense. Uh I think Tonga played some pretty decent defense at times. England, you know, really struggled to run their attack, but at others, they were just so clinical and just ran through the 
Tonga defense like shit through a goose. Um, so are you saying there's no chance we beat England? Uh, I'm saying that we have a chance at thumping Tonga if things go the way they go. Uh, no, like uh, who thinks we're going to beat England? Uh, you know, but I do think that we could go out there and compete and be respectable much yeah. better than, than Tonga. I think we're better coached and I think we're better conditioned. If you looked at the way that game went, and especially if you also look at uh, look at Fiji, both of those teams, their fitness just fell apart after about 30 minutes. Uh, on defense, they kind of stuck with it, but uh, Tonga's shape and what what their attack they were going to do was just shut down. Like they 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 did. Nothing. There was no depth on their line when the, even when they were on offense towards the second half. And the, yeah. again, like like you said, that's kind of like that fitness starting to kick in where people aren't so much looking for the ball. They're just trying to be a part of the game and hang back, I guess you could say, as much as they can uh, while still being kind of active. The, the defense for the defense for England was was really good. And this is where it's funny. When when Eddie Jones is not angry after a game, yeah, it, that's just different. Yeah. It's lulling them into a false sense of security. It's a golden. I mean, it's all been built to this now, right? Eddie Jones, this is this is the Eddie Jones hour. Um I, look, Tonga, first of all, Tonga's tight end prop is the biggest person I've ever seen. So they have that going for them. Um, well, he he is the heaviest person. He is literally the only person above 300 pounds in this Rugby World Cup. I mean, he looks to the other professional rugby players the way, like, a normal-sized tight head looks to me. Like, he looks like he's, a, he's an obsidian. If uh, you got the Red Rising fans out there, what did, uh, he's an obsidian. What, what did that article from uh, America's Rugby News say? Oh, I think it was – yeah, he's the only one above 300 pounds, and he weighs 330. Yeah, oh, I think they said they said the next closest per- they said the next closest person was two eighty five. How many Tony's not there, lad? I, I am a little nervous about Tonga. Uh, you know, the score wasn't close in the end, but I, I agree they were they were very physical and very up for it, and they gave England. Yeah, you know, England was not scoring easily for the first twenty minutes. I mean, they, they made England work for it. Um, that, so I, that, that first, uh, that first almost try by England was great desperation defense by Tonga. Uh, who, who was that who ripped it away from the, from the, uh, from the English ball carrier? Just yeah. that last, the last minute yeah, they they over the try line yeah. was what you want to see in the rugby world cup. And that just excited oh, yeah. me. Yeah. Now we do get England on short rest, um, for our opener. So we'll be fresh. They'll have just come through. And that'll they make also, all the they also have short victory. rest for their next opponent. Which yeah. makes it like a sweet, a sweet scenario of like for a chance of an upset. Now, do I think that's uh, yeah? I, I, no, I, I mean, I, I think it's a good chance for a cover of the spread. Uh, let's yeah. put it that way. I think you know, I don't know what the spread will be. Probably thirty-five, something to that effect. And I think there's a chance of us keeping it, you know, within twenty, uh, which I think would be a win. I mean, that's that's a good performance for you know. Team USA historically against a powerhouse like England, who I think is the most likely team, you know, maybe albeit. Uh, don't you say it. Don't you. I, I, think, I, think I don't know. I don't, I mean, I understand people hate England, but yeah. You know, well, I, first of all, when it comes to this stuff, I hate all tier ones. I don't equally. hate England. I, ha- I hate all tier ones equally. 
We've seen all of their samurai history. Uh, they were, <laughs> they were so, very great the village. Uh, so I think so, that puts them in prime position to win the World Cup. So did, so uh, for so if you haven't seen this sweet ad, like this ad is expensive, really well cut. It's like forty five seconds, and they like. <laughs> I think someone was like, hey, it looks like the KKK. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's another show, and I was like, dressing as samurai and then cutting through a cornfield to burn a village of innocent civilians. <laughs> yeah, that was, it was, I mean, it, it was really well done. Now, was it the best, like, culturally? Well, everyone knows my feelings about England and using Swing Low Sweet Chariot as yeah. their fight song. Yeah kind of messed up actually so i mean uh yeah just i thought it was sweet now was it appropriate no i mean i don't even i don't even find it uh, you know inappropriate i just find it silly i I mean they're all these are all grown professional athletes on the verge of the pinnacle of their sport and they're like dressing up you know this is like what we do for the business school world cup you know i I just the super bowl shuffle happened man no, the, that, the, the, that so, so that was released last week. And then today there's an article in the Telegraph saying that England have had to go out seeking donations to fund the rest of their World Cup expenses. The the richest rugby union in the world apparently couldn't figure out how to fund their World Cup expenses. Authentic Samurai armor with rose brands doesn't come cheap. I hope that he, I hope Faz gets to keep that suit of armor. <laughs> I really do. Because that was it. That had to be expensive. Um, well, well, anyway, okay. I, I think we have a chance to make it closer than people expect against England, but I, I don't think we have a realistic chance of winning. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's so before we get into U.S. A man can dream, though. Well, I guess we're sort of talking about U.S. versus England now. So, so what are you guys thinking? Um, I think we're fit enough um, to give them a run, and I think we've got, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, I, I think we've got the defense to to do something for a little bit. The question is because what they didn't do in this game, they weren't really that physical. With uh, with Tonga, they tried to run their attack and get the ball wide. Whereas, if they play that, I think we've got the athletes to make tackles and sort of keep it close. But they've got heavy ball runners, and this is where someone like Samu, if he was on this team, would be helpful. Yeah. Um, I, I think the USA is a combination of power and speed, so I, I think it's kind of hard to pick one style of play to play the Eagles. I mean, if you can find that weakness, you can certainly go with it. But I think there's that combination of power and speed that's kind of, that other teams, except for all the all blacks just kind of struggle with brain. Yeah. If you look at the Ireland, you know, I'm remembering the Ireland tests um, from last year. And I think, you know, what we saw there is, and this is before, you know, I think we had a defense coach, but you know, what we saw there was 
a defense that could hold up for a few phases, but Ireland recycled the ball so quickly and their attacks were, it wasn't anything genius, but it was, you know, not just an eight ball, a forward crash ball. And there was a little thought to it. And after a few phases, we just couldn't get back into our defensive shape quick enough to stop an overload or a line break. So I think that's, you know, what we're going to have to see if we want to contain England is they're, they're better probably than Ireland in the terms of, Clever passing, you know, skip finding the right guy, changing directions. I think they're a little better than even Ireland at that. So we're going to have to not only defend those hard runners first phase, but we're going to have to get back up on our feet, get back into shape, uh, you know, over and over again. And I think that's where, you know, we maybe will do that for a few minutes. But after, you know, the 10th phase, I feel like England's going to find a way to break through. So this is uh, – Sorry, Aaron, but like I think the big measuring stick against England, though, is not going to be so much how how much are, are we going to contain them, contain their scoring, but how many points on, can we ourselves put on the board? Because at the end of the day, points are what win games. In England, yeah, they're a big dog to try to take down. They're a pretty lofty goal, and maybe that's not realistic for this World Cup. But if we can put up at like say twenty one points against England in some, you know, in a really really good showing. That like you know, in which we stay in the game for all 80 minutes. Well, 21 points against England could easily be 28, 35 points against a team like Tonga. You know, yeah. just like they're just just, just like right. their game plan. So and I think, Adrian, I think that's the major measuring stick. So has anyone taken a look at like the statistics engine for the World Cup? No, I've got the uh, I've got the no. versus Tonga one up, and this is the partial the thing that really um, concerns me, like. This statistics engine is epic. This is awesome. So um, if you look at uh, set pieces one, uh, Tonga uh, did kick the touch more. They had, uh, you know, they had, they had 15 line outs. Uh, they ended up having more scrums. And the reason obviously why they had more scrums is because England had a bunch of knock-ons. Uh, both, both teams ended up with hundred uh, percent scrum success. Uh, and, uh, but, uh, but Tonga failed to um, win one of their set pieces. Uh, if you look at meters gained, it was not really close. Uh, 654.199, and the possession uh, was in 60% uh, favored for Tonga in this game, uh, whereas the you know total territory was 50, so basically 56 to 44% gained there. Uh, but the clean breaks is the thing that's pretty intense. Uh, and the carries over the game line. Uh, England had 40 carries over the game line and 16 clean breaks. Uh, so we have to tackle. We are going to have to tackle. Like, I cannot say that with – Tonga missed 28 tackles. They were only 81%. That's going to be – the thing is, though, tackling is the first thing to be sacrificed when endurance starts to go, when when you start to get tired in the match. And that's, unfortunately, the thing that everybody kind of agrees England is going to beat us on, which is fitness, which is the ability to keep your engine going at 100% through most, if not all, 80 minutes of a match. And, again, like, so our, our tackling might be good in the first half, but I'm, I have are some serious doubts about maybe, like, the final 20 minutes – and I think that's where England could potentially put us away for good. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so moving on, did everyone get a chance to watch Italy versus Namibia? No. 
No. I saw the highlights, but I didn't saw the that. highlights. Well, we'll pull up the stats, and and this is where like I I, I sort of go, I sort of wind Brian Ray up about uh about their their idea of targeting, and then Kingsley Jones telling me they're going to target specific games when they haven't been consistent enough to say that we can target games. Whereas what's coming, what, what Gary says, Gary says is I, I don't want to target a specific game. I'm going to put the best roster out there I have. And this was the first, the first like stretch of games in the Pacific nations cup where there wasn't like consistent roster selection because they were trying stuff. And guess what? You know, that comes like when you're able to do that, that comes from having added experience over time under a coaching staff to where you can just change a bunch of stuff around and, and, and win games. And it wasn't too much when I think about it. Like it really wasn't that much, but it was enough that was noticeable. But part of that was also because we had injuries and I'll concede that you want to rest certain guys and make sure that they're healthy and fit. Um, like, Mikey Teo was not able to play until after the Pacific Nations Cup was over, but we knew how dynamic of a player he was, so he made it to the team. And he he played very well against Canada. Um, yeah, uh, just to look at Namibia versus all the, the game in the second half, and this is where I think we're going to have a problem throughout this tournament. Um, there aren't many games played in climate-controlled facilities uh, the Ireland versus Scotland game, uh, that was today, uh, in the first half, just like this game uh, the sun was out and it was dry and it was nice. And then go to halftime and it's a torrential downpour. Uh, it was, it was pretty awful. Um, but for just to look at how this game went, the, uh, they just sort of overpowered, uh, Namibia. Uh, pretty hardcore. So, w- what you're going to see is they had 40, Italy had 45 carries over the game line. They passed the ball a lot. They had 27 defenders beaten with 22 clean breaks, and they like to offload the ball a lot. They also hit the rock and they win that. Um, they were much more disciplined than Namibia was. Five penalties conceded to nine. They had a lineout steal, um, and their scrum success was pretty pretty good. Um, uh, when it came to like kicks exited, they had 12, they, they were pretty close about, uh, 12 to 11 kicks, but, uh, sort of similar, um, when it came to, to meters gained from kicks as well. Uh, but defensively, this tells you about how much ball they had and just how much they sort of like kept it and really played hardcore. Like they played some pod rugby in this game. Uh, because they did not have to tackle Namibia a lot. I love running the pods, baby. Uh, they, they only, if you look at this, it was they only had Italy only had to tackle. They only attempted 105 tackles in this game. They only made 95 tackles. Namibia had to make made 127 and missed 27 tackles. Um, well, I mean, when you're on defense most of the game, that's not exactly a surprising statistic. Yeah. There, so, is, is, there, is there a possession split percentage uh, with this um, that's provided? So the possession split is 57 to 43. And then uh, in total, and then. Sounds the, better uh, than, the, you know, than the score indicates. The last 10 minutes though, 79% territory in, uh, 
in Italy. So that that they started pretty well and they finished very well as well. But when you and they didn't. Garbage time defense, though. It's the same thing in rugby as it is in football, unfortunately, in many ways. Yeah, looking at the roster, though, it it wasn't necessarily everything that Italy could throw. I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily sure, but some guys were rested. So based on that, they're going to be relatively fresh because this wasn't that hard of a game for them. They didn't have to play a lot of defense. Uh they're going to be a very big challenge for for Canada. Uh, I, I really you know, for Italy. I mean, you know, this is like a, you know almost not to you know degrade Namibia, but this is like a tune-up for them. So I think rather than be tired or hurt, like, Italy ain't no uh, ain't, ain't no top dog either. Those two. So well, to call no, them tune-up. Here's the thing: people are like giving hey. Namibia crap as if Canada is any better. Namibia like went to the southern went to South America and kicked the dog crap out of Uruguay, who during the ARC kicked the dog crap out of Canada. So yeah, I think Namibia. Namibia so I mean it's it I think Namibia versus Canada is gonna be a push, but I don't think uh, I mean to our friends over at La Rouge Rugby, because uh, they gave us a shout out uh on their podcast last week about who we think uh who they are going to pick as their tier two team that they want to see make a move. Uh, and it's, uh, yeah, I, I, just, I just look at this game as tough for, for, for Canada. I, I want them to be consistent in this world cup, but I just, I just don't know, man. They're yeah. look if they play the intensity that they played against the U S in this September warm up they had, um, I think they, they'll, you know, I think they'll be able to keep it within shooting range. Um, I think, you know, it's going to be tough to see them win at the end. But if you're Canada, this has to be, you know, your thing, Namibia is a, an even contest or maybe you have a slight advantage. So if you're looking to make an upset for your World Cup, Italy is probably the name. I mean, they're not going to beat South Africa or New Zealand. So this is their chance to, like, really have a – 30 for 30 moment, you know, in, in this world cup. Um, so I think the other thing to th- think about is uh, Brian Ray was tweeting comments after a practice from Kingsley Jones. Apparently they had some, uh, they had some injuries in, in camp this week. So don't really know yeah. who's going to be good on the roster. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be tough. But uh, Italy and Canada will be a good one to watch too, though, because uh, I think I'd love for USA to get some Italy action here in the future, you know, after this World Cup, you know, maybe next year. Um, I think that'd be a good tier one-y type of name that we could we could play and potentially beat. So. Yeah, um, we need to play Italy soon, very soon. But uh, so about to, I guess, wrap this up, guys. Who do you want – what Tier 2 team other than the United States do you want to see make some moves in this thing? Got to go with the home team, Japan. Georgia. Yeah, I, I'm going to have to go with the uh, with, with Irway, dude. Santiago Arada, dude, my boy. Yeah, um, yeah I, 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 Japan, like, although they didn't cover the spread, they are skillful. They're well coached. I think they've got a shot to uh, auto-qualify. For the for the next one, they're definitely going to auto qualify. I think. I think they have a shot to make the quarterfinals. They play Scotland in the last 
uh, pool play match. Presumably, they're you know both will have one loss to Ireland at that point. So that that'll be for the quarterfinals. I think the home team, you know, Scotland was playing Ireland. Granted, not Russia, but you know they didn't look at any great shakes today. So I I think Japan has a decent, you know, certainly has a, a coin flippy type of chance to make the quarterfinals. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. I want to see. Problem with Georgia is their form has been kind of awful recently. Like they did not play well in that series uh, of warmups against Canada, of not Canada but Scotland. So it's really, it's gonna be weird. But what tier one team do you think is gonna falter? Falter? Um, looks like South Africa. Honestly, I, I had the benefit of now seeing the one test there, and they lost to New Zealand. But um, I thought they were coming in hot and. In the match, I felt like they didn't really have um, – they just didn't seem to have anything to offer. And they had really good physical intensity and defense in the first 20 minutes, and New Zealand was getting pushed back in their own attack phases. Um, but then, you know, one errant pass from South Africa, New Zealand runs the length of the pitch, and then it was kind of like a dam broke, and New Zealand just took it in from there. I'm well, going to say Australia because, in all honesty, Fiji – Probably should have won that game. I, I mean, disagree. Their fit, Fiji's fitness fell up. Fiji's fitness is non-existent after 30 minutes, and even with Yato, like the the result was like this gonna be relatively similar, except it would have been a lot closer. Well, uh, what about, what about the the non-red card? That that's that's Pacella Yato. Like even with like if they had him, I no no. Um, Oh, you mean loot like fourteen man? I, yeah. I, you know what the top like you have a TMO and you have ARs to see everything, and they didn't see it, so it's really hard to go. Hey, there was a non-call because all of the systems in place for live matches weren't used. I, I sort of agreed with. I sort of understood why there wasn't a why it wasn't called. And I understand why it was called um, by the siding official. And he he has a hearing today or tomorrow, and it'll get dealt with. But, uh, okay, I guess the other topic has been refing. Do you guys think the refing has been atrocious, or do you think that after tightening everything up um, throughout the club seasons and – the international seasons that have been upon us the last two years that there's now atrocious refing, or do you think that they're get the refs are just facilitating the matches and getting out of the way? Because I don't want to see Nigel Owens or Wayne Barnes or Ben O'Keefe make this about themselves. I want them to enforce the laws. I think another one that came up was someone was trying to say the offside line wasn't enforced. Um, with France, well, and the picture they showed was like a dude two meters in front of the ruck. That guy's no longer part of the ruck. It's not the offside line. The offside line is at the ruck. So I, there's been a lot of selective clipping going on by people with various positions, as it were. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, ages, uh, tale as old as time here, everyone complains about referees in every venue in every sport people hate referees it's the easiest thing to do i think the refereeing has been fine i mean i i think i think two things one 
one of the beauties of rugby in my mind is the the referee that has kind of more discretion than like a baseball umpire per se, who's given a strike zone and is the clear rules. It's either in or it's out. I feel like in rugby, at least traditionally, the referee has a little more discretion to apply his judgment. Like, okay, yeah, there's an offsides line, but if a guy steps offsides but doesn't impact the play, he's not going to whistle offsides, right? He's like, okay, get on sides, and he may watch the guy next time, but he, he he's able to exercise a little bit of judgment. Um, now, I think the trend over the last few years, with particularly around head shots and high, you know, high tackles, has been to err on the side of safety for obvious reasons. Um, so, um, they're on the side of safety. So, I think what's happened is they've tried to be because red cards are so damaging. They've tried to make it very, very prescribed what you do. And for the last few years, referees have been following that prescription, giving letter of the law red cards. Coming to this World Cup, they seem to be not doing that. They seem to be trying to use their judgment even on high shots and red cards, which I get is frustrating and confusing and maybe different than the way they've been refing, but I think it's better. So let's keep this and let's go back to using some judgment uh, in the other non-World Cup refereeing situations. I think we also need to consider too is that the microscope has never been bigger on referees, especially with all you know the avenues of social media, all new different outlets covering rugby. Rugby continues to get bigger every year, especially with a lot more U.S. outlets covering it now. Like like Craig said, like people are always going to bitch about the ref. It's just a tale as old as time. I think talk to a referee who was it? Who's a female referee, and she was like. I don't think I've liked her as a referee. Like she's a fine person. Um, but when I watch some of her decisions, I'm, I'm maybe it's because of who she's refing as in like my teams on the field. I don't know. But we're having a discussion and, and she had something important to say. And we sort of had this issue in this season with Derek Summers. And she was like, I had to leave social media because the things that people would say to me or to my parents because I just made a bad decision in a sport, which is an escape, like a sports an escape, but this is my job. I was basically getting threatened and called disgusting things. So I just quit. Um, and I think that's sort of wrong. Like the, the fact that people are lashing out at, at referees for, you know, perhaps a wrong decision. Like I, although I may not have agreed with uh, many of her decisions on the field, I didn't, go tweet at her or comment on her Instagram saying she was anything, but, but she, that's what she said. Like this was when I was on my trip to Australia and cause there was a referees forum, which was really cool to hear. Like they're inside of the, the backside of the story from them. Oh, here's a funny one. Not Garces. Um, who's the French ref? Um, no Garces. And he, he was, this was a ref, a top 14 game. And, uh, and he got stuck in the toilet of of a cafe. I think it was in Toulouse or something. <laughs> so, so there's you know there's some some cool things like that. You get to hear their stories, like referees that like I think that all the ones I've met know that they're bound to the game and are servants of the game and do not try to make it about themselves. And I think that they've sort of, they've taken that mantra into this world cup so far. 
So we're going to make predictions for uh, USA England before we sign off. Here. Yeah, so we got yeah. we got to roll out some predictions for for these two games. Um, I'll go USA thirteen, England forty. So twenty minus England minus twenty seven. I'm going to go England. No, I'm going to go. Let's. See, I'm going to say. USA 17, England 33. I think uh, USA scores three tries, converts two, misses one, allows England to run away with it in the second half. Okay. This is very specific. I'm going to say, uh, okay, I'll do England 29, USA 14. So I'm just going to say plus 15 for uh, USA. Okay. I'll I'll go plus fifteen too, but I'll say England thirty five, USA twenty. <laughs> All right, um, Canada versus Italy. What do you guys got? I'm gonna say Italy. Uh, I'm gonna say Italy thirty five, Canada fifteen. I'm gonna say Canada twelve, Italy. I think Canada has a good defensive day. I'm going to say Italy 20. I'll say Canada 10, Italy 35. I think Italy will keep their top spot full B. I think, uh, yeah, uh, I kind of like, say 30, no, 40 uh, to 13 is what I'm thinking. I, I don't really, I think, you know, I, I just don't, I don't get the vibe. I've been around. I just, I'm, just, I'm just laughing that you picked the same score for both games. <laughs> oh, I did? Oh, yeah. Well, um, you know, one <laughs> opponent well, is stronger than the other. I, I just – I have more confidence in the U.S. <laughs> being um, like being plus 27 than I actually do of Canada being plus 27. I probably should make it like <laughs> plus 30, but whatever. Um, thank you for joining the show. Good night. On our way out, please note that all opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the beliefs or practices of Major League Rugby, its teams, or the league. Aaron Castro is employed by Major League Rugby. Liam Poach is employed by the New England Free Jacks. Their opinions are their own. Thank you for listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. Connect with your hosts throughout the week on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt. Or email your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com. Be sure to tune in next week. Until then, get out there and enjoy some rugby.